Uncaged. Uncaged. A show celebrating thought leadership from today's top business leaders. The program provides a voice to amazing executives from around the globe who are shaping the world of business today and mapping the path to the world of commerce tomorrow. And now, please welcome our host, Bant Breen, as we begin another Uncaged episode. Today we're speaking with Kirk Hayes. Hey, Kirk, how are you? Hey, I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I am well. And Kirk, you know, we're talking about a topic that is on everybody's minds today. Kirk is the Chief Operating Officer of Dunley Energy. He's also on the board of DKN Renewables. And really, those are two examples of many, many things that he's done in the renewable energy space. Kirk is a renowned global renewable energy expert, and we'll be talking about what's happening in that industry, with that space, how it's affecting the world, how we're progressing, or Kirk, perhaps how we're not progressing, you'll tell me. But before we get there, tell us a little bit about yourself and your career. Sure, sure, Lee. That's a uh, pretty fancy introduction. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so as stated, my name is Kirk Hayes, and uh, those two positions are kind of currently where I'm at in the world of renewables. Um, but uh, I've had a pretty interesting journey uh, getting here. I actually started off in the United States Marine Corps, and uh, <clears throat> I think that um, really kind of helped set me up for uh, for this for this role actually in the in renewables. But uh, after the Marines. I um, landed in Silicon Valley. Um, that was probably about 1996, and I started working in semiconductors. Um, that was a pretty big shock at the time, but uh, it really goes back to my philosophy on how to be successful. Um, <clears throat> after uh, that first interview, they walked me over to a clean room, and they uh, showed me this huge pane of glass, and I looked through it, and I saw a whole bunch of robots and people wearing uh, what I'd never seen before, but it's called a clean room bunny suit. And I thought, holy smokes, what did I just get myself into? Because <laughs> so, uh, the last thing I'd been doing was fixing radios in the dirt. So yeah. that and carrying an M16. So it seemed like a far stretch from what I was doing a couple of weeks earlier. Um, but as I like to say, uh, everybody cooks with water, right? So whether you're Gordon Ramsay or uh, you're a college student making top ramen uh, in, in, in the dorm room, it all starts with the basics. And so that's sort of how I've approached my philosophy uh, is just, you know, let's get in there, let's roll our sleeves up. Uh, we can figure this out, right? And so I started as a technician uh, in semiconductors and continued to work my way up. Um, semiconductors actually created the opportunity to transition into solar. Uh, so a number of years later, I got a phone call from some folks that said, hey, we would like to make solar cells um, and we want to use some equipment that we heard you know how to, to fix and manipulate and all these fun things. Because <clears throat> up at that point, I've been the field service technician traveling the world. So working right. in Singapore, China, Japan. And uh, so that uh, they, they pitched their idea to me and I said, yeah, I'm pretty sure we can make it do that. And uh, we certainly did. Um, so that was basically a thin film sputtering on glass and we made solar cells. So my entry into renewables was actually through the manufacturing and development of solar cells using a, uh, a SIG stack, copper, indium, gallium, and selenium. Now for folks familiar with the solar industry, we all know that SIGs never made it, right? The preferred choice of uh, solar cells is silicon. 
Um, and so we were one of those uh, that didn't make it. Right? So we right. raised $50 million, developed some technology. We made some solar cells, weren't able to compete. But uh, at this point, I was now branded a solar guy. And, and to my shock, I wasn't too late. Uh, I, I thought I was too late to the market, <laughs> but, uh, but actually it turns out uh, uh, I, I wasn't, right? So my next stop was Sun Edison, um, mm -hmm. where they said, hey, you know, you've got a patent in solar cells. Uh, you've been doing some solar technology work and, you know, you, you understand startups, all this fun stuff, you know, come be a project manager. So I said, all right, I'll be a project manager at Sun Edison. Well, a couple of weeks later, that was actually um, me standing in a desert in the middle of uh, uh, North Las Vegas, surrounded by construction guys. And I was like, hmm, okay, this is a little bit different. Um, <laughs> I was like, wasn't quite the project management I had in mind. And so I looked around and told all the guys, I said, you, you guys know I've never done this before, right? <laughs> so our, uh, our goal at the time, the largest solar project in the United States, which is uh, going to sound funny, 35 megawatts. <laughs> so at that time, that was the largest project on the books. <clears throat> and uh, I had never built a solar project before, but they said, well, you know, solar stuff. So here's some construction guys, go build that project. Uh, and that's what we did. So <laughs> had every single problem known to man from contract issues to uh, electrical uh, issues when the inverters turned on, we smoke came out of them, which isn't always good. <laughs> um, we had soils issues. And um, to be honest with you, uh, I look back on it fondly now because that was a great training ground uh, to learn how to navigate those issues, how to work through those, because that's, that's the world of renewables, right? You know, and as Mike Tyson always likes to say, everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. <laughs> so, yeah. No, I think that's such a great point. And I do truly feel like anyone who plays in emerging industries, emerging spaces, it's always kind of getting your hands dirty, getting in there, doing the real build, the real work that actually gives you the expertise to map out a more effective, broader strategy. But it's critical, critical knowledge, because as you just pointed out, all will fall apart, you know, yeah. when you actually get out there on the field. So, Kirk, I mean, you've been working on a lot of things. Certainly solar has been kind of the bedrock of your entry into the renewable energy space. But tell me a little bit more. I mean, you're obviously working with a lot of businesses. What are you working on specifically right now? Yeah, thanks for asking. I mean, um, the latest stuff that gets me excited is hydrogen. Right. So, you know, when you look at the current situation with the grid, you look at sort of the uh, the mandates that have been thrown out there, right or wrong. I've got certainly some opinions on that. But, um, you know, it's a it's a really tall order to be able to stand up the electric grid. And, uh, and especially if we're just going PV and uh, and batteries. Right. It's a, it, 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 the infrastructure isn't there. Everything we have is antiquated. And um, <clears throat> when I take a look at hydrogen, which is something that's, you know, been around, but never really quite made inroads yet. Now, I think is the time that we will see hydrogen start to transition uh, for a couple of reasons. One, because we can't do it with electric. Right. Mm -hmm. So number two is I think it's the path of least resistance when you look at the, the companies like the big oil companies. Right. Um, for 
every gas station out there to be able to put an electrical charger in there, that's that's a pretty hard thing to do because it's it's a different animal. You've got interconnections with the grid, you've got different permitting requirements, and the infrastructure just has to continue to be built. Similar to why Elon basically built his own infrastructure in the beginning. Yeah. I mean, it's still kind of the same thing, right? Now you look at hydrogen. Hydrogen can be transported through liquid. And if you look at every gas station out there, it's liquid, right? So a lot of the fossil fuel folks, I think they're going to uh, they're going to take a look at this and they're going to start to adopt it and say, well, wait a minute, we already have the infrastructure. This is something that feels familiar. Not too hard for us to go drop a hydrogen pump at every single Chevron and everything single Shell station out there, right? And they already have the refining capability. They already have the pipelines. They've already got all the tankers that they can transport all this. So I think what we're going to start to see here in the future is going to be a transition that picks up and surpasses um, purely electric. And then I did a little bit of peeking around. I talked to some of the uh, car manufacturers. I mean, they're already working on it. Um, their next version of hybrids isn't going to be uh, fossil fuels plus battery. It's going to be hydrogen fuel cells and battery. I've heard the same thing. We've had a couple of guests on the show that are focusing on hydrogen, and I'm a big, big believer in hydrogen as well. It's been interesting because I think there's a misunderstanding probably from a layman's perspective, which was that kind of electric competes with hydrogen. But I do understand now that the thinking is, no, 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 they're going to layer in hydrogen onto the electric right and then essentially go from there so that makes a ton of sense to me I mean, i've seen obviously the work that honda did in the hydrogen space so there is some promise there but i mean when we look at that is this a promise that we're going to see in the next i'd say five years or is this kind of like a 10 to 20 year thing or 50 year thing yeah, I think I, I do think it'll be probably in the next five years, um, simply because I mean some of the projects I'm working on, I'm I'm purely doing the uh, the greenfield development at this point, right? So <clears throat> I've got um, some projects down in Southern California, another project in Utah, another one in uh, Georgia, and what I mean is I I literally have the you know control of the land mm -hmm. and. Um, we're not being stopped yet in terms of, you know, we're proceeding with environmental studies, we're proceeding with, you know, all the jurisdictional pieces of that. And so far, no roadblocks, right? Uh, people are, uh, people, when I say people, I mean, uh, the community, as well as the jurisdictions that have authority in that area are supportive of, uh, of us building hydrogen projects. Um, our angle on it is sort of combining the PV solar uh, as much as possible to provide the electricity for the electrolysis piece of the hydrogen. Oh, okay. So hence the term green hydrogen, um, because it does take a good chunk of power uh, to, to do that reaction. So <clears throat> we have, uh, um, like I said, down in Southern California, we've got about 80 acres. Uh, we only need probably 20 of it for the hydrogen, and then the rest of it will be PV. And if that uh, doesn't provide um, all the electricity we need, then we'll just supplement from the grid as well. Uh, but at the same time, you know, what you're ending up with is hydrogen that's being produced by solar energy. Nice, nice. So using photovoltaic power to drive essentially evaporation, is that what we're kind of doing and then turning it into a gas? Yes, yeah, the gas and then right. we're kind of so we'll, we'll use. <clears throat> We'll use hydrogen electrolyzer technologies, uh, which we're evaluating right now. Uh, there's 
Uh, Europe's made some good strides. Um, and there, I mean, electrolyzers have been around for quite some time, but people haven't really been paying attention to them to all of a sudden now. Um, we're in an interesting time frame where the investment community is ready to invest, but the technology and the and the uh, and the supply chain uh, aren't ready to meet the demand. Right, so we actually have more demand than supply. But uh, one of the things I'm doing right now is I'm talking to a lot of the different um, hydrogen electrolyzer manufacturers, as well as the, all the downstream uh, components, because you need compressors, um, you know, for transportation uh, when when the gas is created and all these things. So we're taking a look at all that uh, and trying to see who the right players are that can help us, um, you know, with some of these first early projects. And then the other piece of that, which uh, just starting to dip my toe into, is uh, the possibility of using hydrogen for uh, long duration energy storage. Mm. Um, there's some pretty interesting applications, and this is what really gets me excited: is repurposing um, um, abandoned oil wells. Uh, I think this would be a phenomenal, you know, use of some of the, the the previous fossil fuels that everybody says, oh, it's bad, bad, bad. Well, hey, you know why? You know, if we can repackage that up and get get some, uh, you know, get some great use out of that, it'd be awesome. And one of the ways to do that is by um, injecting hydrogen down into these abandoned oil wells, and you can store it down there. Um, uh, kind of like a battery, like a hydrogen battery, so to speak, right? And then wow. you can draw off of it in the future, right? So. So the, there's some pretty interesting ideas out there that uh, we think um, can really help this transition to meet the, gr the grid uh, incapacities that we need. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting time. And I can see that hydrogen is starting to get a lot more focus. Some of these projects that you're outlined sound fascinating. Did you find over this moment that we've been living through and with the pandemic more interest and opportunity in the hydrogen space where people more readily, I guess, open to listening to ideas or how have you found it right over the last couple of years? Yeah, so I don't think the pandemic um, really impacted renewables at all. Um, I was one of the folks. Now, at that time, I was uh, deploying a, uh, a tracker system for solar. Um, and I never stopped traveling. I actually had papers with me that said, you know, this is part of the infrastructure that's required. And, you know, I remember having to present those papers just to get a hotel one night in some random place. So I think renewables um, wasn't impacted philosophically by the pandemic. Certainly supply chain has, you know, created a, a huge havoc on everybody and that's still unwinding. But um, I'd say that the focus on hydrogen was just the realization that uh, politicians have kind of picked these astronomical numbers and deadlines in terms of goal setting, right? That mm -hmm. As a project manager, um, you know, you got to question some of that. <laughs> you know, are you serious? Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love renewables. Uh, and I think, you know, there's a lot of common sense there. Uh, but I do think we should leave the politicians out of it and develop an actual, uh, you know, real plan that says, here's how you get from point A to point B. And you don't just go and flip a light switch on, right? And so mm -hmm. I think... You know, 
that being said, I do also understand sort of the visionaries that like to just throw some sort of astronomical, hey, we got to reach for the moon. And if we reach for the moon, you know, hey, maybe we'll get to the top of that mountain. Okay. Yeah. I understand that. But, you know, you're also, it, it comes across a little forced sometimes. Yeah. But either way, I think the end result is positive for everybody. Um, it's, you know, they've, they've set some pretty astronomical goals out there and deadlines, and that is kind of forcing people to think and say, well, how do we get there? And I think people realize we're not going to get there with batteries alone. Right. Yeah. And that's where now the hydrogen story starts to pick up and then you go, yeah. okay, but hydrogen still requires a lot of power, right? You know, we, you know, we got to get that from somewhere. Okay. Well, I guess we could build more solar plants to provide that. And you go, okay. So you start connecting these dots and figuring out how do we, how do we meet these mandates? Uh, and hopefully within the time frame that they like, although I don't think that'll happen, but we got to give it a shot. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I do think though, Kirk, that, that what I've seen over the last, let's say 12 months is companies embracing and telling their I'd say electric story, right? Especially electric vehicle story. I mean, with General Motors announcing their whole electric vehicle strategy. And I actually would say that we're still maybe in the very early innings of the hydrogen tell, right? I mean, I feel like there's people like you that are really in the know, <laughs> that are actually pushing it forward, but if I were to go to have a, a coffee with friends tonight, I have a feeling that if I ask them about hydrogen, their knowledge would be uh, pretty limited. Sure. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. From that aspect, yeah. um, I, I definitely agree. I know that GM uh, is actually working on a truck that they're going to release that's got hydrogen and battery. And I think they're targeting uh, 25 or 26 that you makes know, more for, sense. Yeah. for that vehicle. And so I think that's why... When I think about that, I think, you know, the five-year horizon makes sense, but it's probably... Well, I think they're, I honestly, I, maybe I'm slightly cynical on the vehicle front, but I'm thinking they think they're going to sell all the electric vehicles because there's all these government mandates to do so over mm. the next couple of years. And then once they've sold the electric vehicles, then they're going to say, no, 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 no. Now you got to buy a hydrogen vehicle. <laughs> well, yeah, so, so I, think, I, I think what we're going to see is... Um, we're gonna probably see electric and and the and the and electric hydrogen uh, blend, right? Yeah. Where um, because I do think a hundred percent electric is still viable uh, when you're in sort of that smaller urban area, you know, mm -hmm. where your footprint is, you know, within eighty miles. There's no need for hydrogen, right? You can book around; it's very convenient. You can you can charge at your house. So I don't think electric vehicles suddenly become antiquated. I think those mm -hmm. still always have a, a place in the transportation system. Right. Hydrogen becomes great when you want to eliminate range anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. Now you've got a battery vehicle that uh, benefits from the torque of batteries, and you can actually have a smaller battery pack. And then you hit highway cruising speeds, and you transition over a, to a hydrogen fuel cell, and you drive. A, you know, hundreds of miles and you haven't touched your batteries, right? So yeah. I think, you know, we look at, you know, um, high, uh, on Motors is probably a good example. Um, Parker Meeks over there is actually a person I used to work with back in McKinsey. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they're doing some great things over at on And I think um, when you look at that, you look at Omium, who's developing the hydrogen uh, technology with Ahmad, uh, again, somebody I work with at Sun Edison, 
you know, I think you look at some of those companies and then myself kind of being in the middle saying, here, guys, let's all get together and talk, right? Yeah. You know, Ahmad, you give me the electrolyzers. Parker, you guys, here's my hydrogen, right? And then uh, we go sit down with GM, right? And then we yeah. deploy something of that nature. That's yeah. how you win this battle, right? That's exciting. That's really exciting. Well, Kirk, I mean, here we are at the end of um, another kind of period of, uh, I guess, solving things right post-pandemic, and now we move into this lovely recessionary moment that we're supposedly living through. Tell me a little bit about what you're seeing in the short term for hydrogen. Well, short term is interesting because like I kind of alluded to earlier, um, the investment community wants it and they're ready to finance it, Uh, but it's the supply chain of technology that says, hey, you know, either we can't create enough of it or they're just not, they're not there yet, right? Yeah. You know, they're still working the bugs out to do it at this scale, right? Yeah. That people want. Um, and so that's going to be a little bit interesting to work through. And then the other piece of this that is sort of the, um, a bit of my passion is sort of the optimization and execution side of this. It's the labor force, right? Whether yeah. you're talking PV solar or wind or anything, right? Uh, and I'm talking mostly about the labor force in North America right now. Yeah. Um, you know, having that skilled labor force is kind of, you know, might be a challenge, right? People are trying to figure out, you know, we when I talk to all the big folks that are out there, you know, Mortensen Blattner, um, uh, you know, the Rosenden Electrics, you know, all these different EPCs, you know, you look at their books, they're booked. Right. And so yeah. you come up with a new project. Hey, guys, we'd like to go do this. Now the issue is, well, who's going to do it? Right. Yeah. You know, like, you know, like everybody's already booked, like out through 24. And, you know, now folks are trying to actually get on the books for two years out. Right. Yeah. So it's a pretty interesting time frame. But I do think that that creates opportunities for folks that are willing to get out there and roll their sleeves up and learn the industry. Right. And learn yeah. how to do this. Um Solar is a little bit different, you know, uh, and then and then the hydrogen piece is unknown to the renewable guys. And this is where I think it's going to get real fun, right? For years, it's been gas and oil guys are over here, you know, renewable guys are over here. They don't talk, you know. Recently, we've seen some gas and oil folks kind of trickle into the solar industry and start doing their first solar projects. Yep. Solar projects go up a lot faster than gas and oil. So it's a little bit of a different animal. Um, but now with the potential onset of hydrogen, I think now we find a place for all these gas and oil guys that all the renewable guys were kind of, you know, hey, we don't need you over here, right? Well, now we do. (laughs) So I think hydrogen, I think, is going to be an interesting sort of let's all get together at the campfire and hold hands and sing Kumbaya. Yeah, no, I like that. And certainly it leads us down a path that can scale because the miss is, is to condemn one side or the other as correct or wrong right right and not to figure out that we really need to, to i hate to say it but kumbaya a little bit and right. kind of come together on this thing if we really want to solve the issues of the day well kirk it's been amazing having you on the show today if someone wanted to learn more about what you're working on where's the best place to reach you yeah i think the easiest thing is um i i I don't update exactly what i'm doing um but uh, kirkhays.com you can you know 
catch up with me there. Uh, I don't really blog on there, but certainly there's an email address there if they wanted to hit me up uh, with Kirk at KirkHayes.com. And certainly my LinkedIn profile of Kirk Hayes, um, you right. know, that, that's always available for pretty much the broader network. Great. Well, I mean, Kirk, thank you again for being on the show. We've been speaking with Kirk Hayes. He is a global renewable energy expert. Uh, he's also the COO of Dunley Energy, and he's on the board of DKN Renewables. We've been talking about primarily hydrogen. You know, I'd say the story of uh, the evolution of what's happening in the solar space, where we are with electrics, and really the emergence of hydrogen as potentially a bridge for different technologies, as well as something that can scale for our needs in the future. Kirk, thank you so much for being on the Uncaged show, and we look forward to having you back. All right. Thank you. Cheers. Appreciate it.